0: Jeremy here on Republic Broadcasting Network. Go to RepublicBroadcasting.org, smash that donate, send the funders. Republic Broadcasting Network, 2251, Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Ron Rock, Texas, 78664. Call in the debit or credit to 1 800 724 2719, extension 3. Keep free speech alive. This is your Wednesday night spiritual health and wellness broadcast where I'll be featuring a sermon clip from Pastor K out of Paris, Tennessee, on 1 Corinthians 7, addressing all of my single friends out there. Um, We're also going to be addressing marriage and uh, relations between male and female. Let's roll the sermon clip, and it will take us to the break. I'll uh, comment on the other side. Go ahead, Mike. would roll that.
1: There's nothing more important as a child of God than knowing what your Father in Heaven has said to you. So as we come now to this last section of chapter 7, which begins at verse 25, we know that in each section of this chapter, Paul spoke to specific groups of people within the church, all relating to the subject of marriage. But there's a really important group of people that he has not directly addressed yet. And that group of course is singles. Singles. Paul has addressed husbands and wives, Paul has addressed widows and widowers, which are they're single in a sense. He's addressed Christian marriages, two believers married to each other. He's addressed mixed marriages, a believer married to an unbeliever. But what about people that are not married and never have been yet? We have several in that category here in our church. And if that's you, I don't want you to feel left out because Paul has a lot to say to you. Beginning at verse 25, continuing all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 40, Paul is primarily talking to singles. When we take a step back and we look at the big picture of this chapter, we can identify a running theme that Paul applies in every section. That running theme is this, wherever you are in life... Your focus should be consecrating yourself to God in the midst of where He has you and serving Him there. That's the theme of this chapter. So if you're married to another Christian, sanctify your marriage and serve the Lord together. And if you're married to an unbeliever, sanctify that mixed marriage and serve the Lord in the midst of your unbelieving spouse. If your spouse has passed away, sanctify your widowhood and serve the Lord there. And Paul does not exchange principles at verse 25. The theme of today's sermon, the theme of this section is, if you are single and not yet married, sanctify your singleness and serve the Lord. The purpose of marriage is for a husband and wife to serve God together in ways that they could never do alone. But the purpose of singleness is, is to serve God in ways that you won't be able to do once you have a spouse and a family to care for. There are advantages to singleness. And that is what Paul will highlight for us here in this text. Now, I know that we live in a culture that tells you at a radically young age that if you you don't have a, a, a relationship, your life is somehow incomplete or insufficient. And and most of that is absolute foolishness. Uh, A 12-year-old boy should not be concerned with having a girlfriend. He should be concerned with running around in the woods and playing army, throwing a baseball. A 12-year-old girl should not be concerned about what she looks like to boys. But there is a sense in which you do come into a, a stage of maturity, in which you do begin to think about the opposite sex, and that is a good thing one brother that came and told his pastor, he said, hey, Pastor, I've got, got a problem. I need your advice. I need your counsel. My, my sons came home and I was talking with them and, and they're starting to like girls. The pastor said, Brother, that's not a problem. The problem is when they don't like girls. So all of this starving pressure to have a relationship is worldly wisdom, but it's not the truth of God. I want to say to you at the outset, do not despise your singleness. Do not despise your singleness. For most of you, your singleness won't last forever. The Lord will grant you a husband. The Lord will grant you a wife. And you won't be single anymore. For most of you, your period of singleness will be very short compared to your time spent married. So short that you will not even really remember it. With with great vividness. So you must not waste your singleness or squander your singleness. You must use your singleness for the glory of God and the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not give you a period of singleness so that you can stay up late and binge-watch TV shows and spend hours of day in front of a video game, or hanging out with the guys, hanging out with the girls. That's not why he gave you a period of singleness. God doesn't give you a period of singleness so that you can go out on the town or so you can foster a social media addiction. God gives you a, single, a period of singleness to prepare you for the rest of life, to allow you to serve Him with unprecedented liberty and freedom that you will never have again after you're single. And this is Paul's driving emphasis in this section. Now, some have preached these verses, 25 through 40. Some have preached them as reasons why you should remain single. Or reasons why singleness is superior to marriage, as if, as if it were. I'm not going to repeat previous sermons, but we understand that Paul is not arguing for the superiority of marriage or the superiority of singleness. There's blessings and there's, there's challenges to both. So I, I don't believe it's right to preach it that way. Rather, this section presents considerations for those in a period of singleness. If you are single, we will look at things that you must be considering, things you must be thinking about, considerations about your service to the Lord. Paul is not arguing that you must remain single, nor is he trying to guilt-trip you if you are planning on getting married. Paul is simply counseling that if you're single, there's advantages and blessings to your singleness that you ought to consider. Maximize your service to the Lord in the current state that you're living in. And if you're single and thinking about marriage, there are things you must consider about the reality and responsibility of taking a spouse. From verses 25 through verse 40, there are six such considerations. There are six considerations. But due to the length of this passage, time would not permit us to preach through the entire thing this morning. So we're going to look at the first three considerations this Sunday and next Sunday, Lord willing, the concluding three considerations. But it's important for you to understand that verses 25 through 40 are all one consistent thought. They're all one section. So the title by way of a title, I would give you considerations in singleness, part one. And the next week will be part two. And I also want to say at the outset, in my study and preparation, um, I want—I I might be mistaken, but every outline I have ever given you, alliterated, uh, whatever the case may be, is original. Uh, it's, it's how I saw the text break down, but I'm going to depart from that this morning because in my studies for this section, I came across an outline to this text that I thought hit the nail on the head, and I, I didn't see any way to improve upon it. So, This outline is not my own, but uh, I do believe that it's a faithful breaking down of this text this morning. So, considerations in singleness. Things you should consider if you are single. The first thing that I want you to consider is the present distress. The present distress found in verses 25 through verse 27. Paul is moving on to the Corinthians' next inquiry. You know that this chapter is structured according to Paul's correspondence with the church. They had reached out to him. They had perhaps asked questions or perhaps made statements about specific issues. And Paul wrote back to them addressing those issues. So whenever you see now concerning, Paul is saying, I am now moving on to the next topic that you wrote to me about. The previous section, verses 17 through 24 was somewhat of a digression from Paul's teaching on mixed marriages. Uh, the, the, The theme there in verses 17 through 24 was what? Remain as you are. Serve God where you are. But really, that was a digression from the topic of marriage. If you're married, serve Him there. If you're unmarried, serve Him there. If you're single, serve Him there. So what we find from that is that every good preacher, the Apostle Paul included, goes down a rabbit trail every once in a while, which is what he did in 17 through 24. So... When he says, now concerning, he's getting back on track. He's he's going to now address the next thing that the Corinthians wrote to them about, and he identifies his audience when he says, now concerning virgins. Virgins. What is a virgin? Well, biblically defined, a virgin is a single Christian that has never been married. We know this because earlier in verse 8, Paul spoke to the unmarried. The word here in verse 25 is a different Greek word that is translated virgin. Unmarried really is more the idea of demarried, to the demarried. Uh, But this is really talking about someone who has never ever entered into a marital relationship. Sadly, we no longer live in a society where the term virgin can be used as a synonym for the term single. In our day, very few people maintain their virginity throughout their singleness and keep themselves for marriage. And that problem is not just something that the world has, it's something that the church has. Yet I want you to notice, as plainly as can be, how Paul makes no distinction between virgins and singles. The assumption of the text is, according to biblical ethics, if you are single, then you are a virgin. Well, you say to me... Well, I'm single, but I'm not a virgin. I've lost my virginity. Does this text still apply to me? Absolutely it does. Because though you can never be a virgin again, you can be virtuous. You can be virtuous. Remember what we've learned thus far in chapter 7. God is calling you to serve Him right where you are, not where you should have been. God is not calling you to live the Christian life with regret, nor is He calling you to allow the guilt of previous sins to hinder you from current service. So will you regain your virginity once you have lost it? No, you will not. And I must say that to you. And so if if you have maintained that, keep maintaining it. Keep yourself for the one that the Lord would have you to marry. But if not, do not feel that that sin somehow hinders you from serving the Lord now. Because there is repentance, there is grace, and there is forgiveness, and there is restoration in Jesus Christ. Receive that forgiveness, receive that cleansing, and consecrate yourself as a virtuous servant of God for the remainder of your singleness. So Paul says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. When Paul says this, he's doing what he did in verses 10 and 12. He's saying, Jesus did not address single virgins during his earthly ministry. And he didn't. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You won't find where Jesus addressed marriage towards single virgins. But Paul says this, but but as as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord, to be faithful. So Paul is saying, I'm not repeating something that Jesus says, but I am called to be a faithful apostle, and I'm writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, even though Jesus never personally addressed this issue when He walked, on, when he walked the earth, what I am about to say to you is just as much the Word of God as everything that Jesus said. Equal in authority and truthfulness. I've met Christians who who, um, actually are against red-letter Bibles. And their reasoning is that it gives a wrong impression, as if the words of Jesus are somehow more the Word of God than, say, the words of Paul. But I want you to understand that though different portions of Scripture might carry different weights in certain situations, all of it is equally inspired. All of it is equally infallible. In the latter half of uh, Exodus, five, six, seven, eight, nine chapters on all the, the furniture that was to go in the tabernacle, just as much God breathed as for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. It's in the Bible. The word judgment here, when Paul says, I'm not repeating Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not repeating Jesus, I'm not giving you a command that Jesus gave, I'm giving you my judgment. The word judgment here carries the idea of conviction or counsel. That is another really key aspect of Bible interpretation. Is you have to you have to figure out, okay, what what kind of grammatical structure are we looking at? Are we looking at an imperative command? Are we looking at historical narrative? Are we looking at poetry? Are we looking at prophecy? Well, some might read this and think we're looking at imperative command, but Paul makes it clear that really what he's giving us Yes, in a sense, it it comes with authority, but this section really is more inspired pastoral counsel that is sensitive and wise. And we must make a careful distinction between inspired counsel and objective commands. A blanket command, such as, do not put away your wife, for instance, which we find in chapter 7, it applies objectively in all situations. Divorce is divorce and God says don't do it. <laughs> but counsel, while being entirely true, will apply differently depending on an individual's situation and place in life. So all of the things that Paul says in this text are infallible. They are inspired and they are in true, they are true, but some of them may apply to one person differently than they do to another and I want to point that out to you because we'll read some things at the end of chapter 7 and if we took it to mean a blanket command it would be very confusing to us it would almost seem as if Paul was contradicting himself but he's not doing that he's giving counsel and sometimes you can give counsel to someone and your counsel is perfectly accurate it just doesn't apply to that person so we need to keep that in mind so with that said, let's get into this council. The first thing that we need to consider, the present distress. He says in verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. Say that it is good for a man so to be. Well, the phrase so to be means for a man who is single to remain single. He's talking to virgins. And if you are a virgin, Paul says, it's good for you to be that way. There's nothing wrong with you being a single virgin in the church. And we know that this is counsel because the Bible nowhere issues a blanket command that all single men must remain single perpetually. I should have heard at least two amens from that from Bryce and Lucas. Amen? You're not commanded to remain perpetually single, but there's nothing wrong with your singleness. That's what Paul's saying. Rather, this council is pertaining to a specific situation, and that situation is our first consideration. What's the context of this council? The context of this council is the present distress. Because of this present distress, if you're a single virgin, it's good for you to remain single. All
0: right, we're up on the break. Back on the other side with some analysis of the sermon clip. And we'll take your calls after the half-hour break. You're on in plain sight, spiritual health and wellness.
2: sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no no hidden agendas no corporate funding and we do not sell trade or give away any of your information our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits so please check out our site it's the best around and be sure to stop by our store it's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution
0: Go to republicbroadcasting.org smash that donate button like Russian peacekeepers smashing through the Azov neo-Nazi terrorists in the Donbass. I don't think
4: you can explain politics without looking at Jewish power any more than you can explain physics without dealing with gravity. 9-11 was a jointly conducted covert operation that involved multiple states, the Saudis, the Israelis and what you could call the deep state in cool the United with States. The anti-Semitic remarks. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're jiggling juice we used to say. The, uh, the dancing is very lazy Uh, so even the republicans now are compromising and they're
0: pushing issues that are destructive to the white race they would always say like are we just going to talk about this stuff on the radio and what are we going to do about it
2: either we force the democracy to work by actually getting the ballot access getting the candidates getting in office getting our message out there to the people or we expose just how undemocratic it is
1: the patrick and jeremy show tuesday at nine central and wednesday at one central
0: spiritual health and wellness on in plain sight your wednesday night broadcast just uh featured a sermon clip from pastor k out of paris tennessee on the text of first corinthians 7 uh, concentrating on verses 25 through the end of the chapter uh addressing single people so all of this on wednesday what they call Valentine's Day. I don't celebrate that. It's a pagan uh, ritual. Um, It was St. Valentine, uh, a Christian martyr that they named this holiday after. But it has its pagan roots on behalf of the false gods, Pan and Juno, gods of love and marriage and fertility. So as with everything, as the Roman Catholic Church um, converted Europeans They substituted their pagan traditions with Christian ones. This happens on many occasions. And a lot of pagan rituals come into Christian celebrations. So, you know, you got to be careful and research as to what you're celebrating. But uh, it's also a very commercial time, uh, you know, when you're supposed to go out and buy a bunch of flowers and candy and and whatnot uh, to prove that you're a good lover. (laughs) It, it, every just, just about every month has uh, some commercial uh, implications where you're supposed to go out and buy stuff. As soon as Christmas is over, they start pushing the Valentine stuff, and then then they push the Easter stuff, which I call Resurrection Sunday. So I don't celebrate these pagan traditions, but Jeremy, Christ, uh, Christmas is a pagan tradition, okay? It was, you know, December 25th was uh, the Romans uh, Sol Invictus, the worship of the Invincible sun, where they hung lights up and gave gifts to each other. And then um, European pagan traditions, they burnt the Yule log. So I don't do all that. Um, but the difference is, is that celebrating Christmas is celebrating the Son of God becoming flesh. And you can celebrate that. You, you can eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? And, and um, celebrate Christmas and celebrate the birth of Christ and the gathering of family and giving of gifts and Christmas trees uh, you can do that and exclude the pagan aspects of it and be perfectly fine but the difference is is that the celebration of uh, Valentine's Day is a strictly uh, celebration of pagan gods and there's nothing there there's no meat to eat it's all bones <laughs> There's no bones to spit out. So uh, that's, that's the difference. And that's why I'm highlighting this message on 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to deal with marriage, singleness, uh, the roles of men and women, and whatnot. So that's what we're doing here. Um, one of the things I wanted to critique the speaker on, the purpose of marriage uh, is to serve the Lord. Well, you're going to serve the Lord whether you're married or single if you're a Christian. So it is true that you serve the Lord in both aspects. But I will bring out that the purpose of marriage biblically is children. The purpose of marriage is to have children. That's the primary purpose of marriage. The secondary purpose of marriage is so that you do not burn with lust. All right. And we get this from 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9 let's start with verse 8 and 9 i say therefore to the unmarried and the widows it is good for them to abide even as i but if they cannot contain let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn and the implication there is to burn with lust so a secondary purpose of marriage is to satisfy your sexual desires within the confines of marriage Again, we get back to this thing of sexual desires. Um, Men have uh, a very strong sexual drive, starting at about the age of 11 or 12 and going on into their old age, 60s, even 70s, uh, as long as they can get an erection. And if they can't get an erection, they usually use some aphrodisiac uh, to assist them. But uh, that aside, men have a very strong sexual drive. Women's sexual drive is pretty much contained to their ovulation period, which is about five to seven days out of the month, out of every month, where they ovulate. And this is premenstrual, right? Or pre, uh, uh this is before they start getting rid of their eggs, right? Menopause. This is pre menopause. <clears throat> Women will men will uh, ovulate. And their cheeks get rosy, and their lips swell up and get red. Uh, and these are things that happen naturally throughout history, where they're ovulating and they become more attractive to their husbands. Right? Currently, we use makeup, or women use makeup to um, imitate this natural phenomenon. They blush their cheeks, they paint their lips red, and whatnot. But before the advent of makeup, it was strictly a physical. Thing where women became more attractive to men during ovulation, because that's pretty much the the apex of women's sexual drive is when they're ovulating, when they're able to have children. We're gonna put more of this on the other side of the break.
5: These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay, join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1 877 928 8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X T E N D O V I T E.com. Extend your life with
6: Extendivite.
5: Free shipping on orders over fifty dollars. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN.
0: We're coming back to Spiritual Health and Wellness on your Wednesday night broadcast. And RBN Jeremy here I was breaking down an analysis of the sermon clip, which the sermon clip focused on whatever position you're in, whether you're married, divorced, widowed, or a virgin, um, your position in life is to serve the Lord in any of those. I was specifically breaking down the purpose of marriage, which is to have children. That got me into the sex drive and the purpose of sex. All right. Um, the purpose of sex is children. The purpose of sex is not pleasure. Sex is pleasurable. God created sex to be pleasurable for the purpose of having children to continue the human race. That's why the strong sex drive from men from adolescence on into their old age. And the purpose for women ovulating when their sex drive reaches its pinnacle at certain points of the month when they ovulate, right? So the purpose of sex is not pleasure. So having sex for pleasure is not biblical. Having sex for children within the confines of marriage is biblical. That's the case that I'm making. Therefore, logic dictates from the scriptures that the purpose of marriage is primarily to have children. So what I'm getting at is I want to dispel this this uh, false notion that society in the last hundred years has brainwashed us that we're to have these romantic relationships and dating and all of this nonsense. Um, it's nonsense. You are to court men. You're to court a female for the purpose of marriage and children. All right. That's why you have a sex drive. And females, the purpose of you, you're to have children. And when you hit menopause and you cannot have children any longer, then your purpose is to nurture your grandchildren. Plain and simple. You don't like it? Don't argue. Don't take it up with me. That's nature. That's what God created in the natural order, and that's biblical. This is why... In the Old Testament, polygamy was allowed because a man could have children on into his old age. And if his wife ceased to have children, he could marry and take a second wife and continue having children. And God allowed this for the perpetuation of the human race after the flood. Now, I will say that polygamy is not uh, promoted in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, for bishops and deacons, you're to be the husband of one wife. Right? So polygamy is done away with in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. So there is a change in the order of things in the New Testament, but that doesn't change the purpose of sex. The purpose of sex is children. Sex is to be within the confines of marriage, therefore the purpose of marriage is children. Right? Let me just quote Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But the whoremongers and the adulterers, God will judge. All right. So all sexual relations are to be within marriage. That having been said, you know, I mentioned that males have a stronger sex drive than females. This is why throughout history, When men are separated from their wives and they're on military campaigns or they're off on business and they're traveling about, often they will visit prostitutes to satisfy their sex drives. This is not moral. This is not biblical. Whoremongers are to be judged by God. But I'm just explaining to you the nature of things. This is what it is, what it is. And that was the purpose of prostitution throughout history. Um, so human beings this is the bottom line human beings are created with a strong sex drive for the purpose of um, of repopulation of um, forwarding the human race right and the Bible commands that you are to exercise this within the confines of marriage and the speaker was specifically commenting on 1 Corinthians 7 that as Christians, wherever you're at in life, you're to serve the Lord. And if you're single and you seek a wife, the purpose of the seeking the wife should be to have children. Mm-hmm. If there's no children to be had, then the secondary purpose is to satisfy your sex drive. But regardless, you're to serve the Lord in whatever capacity that you're in. That's the bottom line of tonight's message. Now I will go to the call screens for... Commentary or pushback And we have William in Texas up first And we got Mike on uh, a second William in Texas, welcome to the show
7: Hey Jeremy, good to talk to you again I appreciate the conversation Monday And I'm glad to call you back tonight Good show, I can't really think of anything I disagree with you on <laughs> So I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you uh, Some thoughts about Can we just get get to the gospel for a second? Yes, please sure um like like i have i have some thoughts about you know there's different ways of people you know how they present the gospel and i know there's there's been people saved by tracks are you still there
0: still there hello hello Hello, yeah william i'm still here i was just muting because of background noise go ahead my apologies yeah so
7: you know the the Roman road tracks, uh, you know uh, different different gospel tracks, you know that people uh, give out and receive. Um, and I'm almost after all my years of, of witnessing and sharing the Lord with people, and just um, I I really think that the Gospel of John has the answer because at the end of, God, of John's Gospel, uh, the, the very next to the last chapter, as he's wrapping up, you know Christ has already he's already died for our sins. He's already risen again. And uh, the things that, you know, Christ did, he's promising this disciples things. And then he says in, ver- in John 20, 30 and 31, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So I believe God, uh, John, obviously, from his own own testimony here, he's, he wrote his gospel So lost people would get saved. And, uh, you know, all the promises of, uh, you know, faith, I mean, all all the promises of salvation, all the promises of eternal life, uh, the the free gift of salvation, all these things are in the Gospel of John very clearly. I mean, the most famous verse in the world that even lost people know, John 3.16. I mean, and and the word, it's interesting that the, the word belief, either in, you know, how, however the Greek translated, uh, "pistos" or, or, you know, belief in English or faith, is all through John's gospel about a hundred times, depending on what verse you're, uh, version you're reading. Uh, and the word repent is never in John's gospel. It's almost like he didn't want people to think, oh, you got to straighten up your life and repent, you know, of, uh, you know, any misdeeds before you can come to Christ. He just makes it by faith. And I believe the gospel of John was written for lost people. So lost people would get saved. And that's why I primarily use the gospel of John nowadays to, uh, to reach lost people, because I believe all the promises are there. The promise of eternal life, it's a free gift. It's by faith. It's by faith alone. And I just wanted to bounce that off of you before I go to another subject.
0: (laughs) That's phenomenal. Um, This whole thing of repent of your sins to be saved, a lost person cannot repent of their sins they're dead
7: how it's a losing you? battle it's a losing battle it's, they think they got to get all their all their cards i mean all their ducks in a row uh, you know and everything and it's like uh, they, it'd be a total frustration to where they'd never get things right in their life and they'd never come to christ fully and trust him you know it makes no sense
0: yeah. exactly Now mark mark chapter one says repent and believe the god the you know repent for the kingdom of god is at hand so repent simply means to turn away from what are you turning away from well, in the context of uh, you know of John, the cousin of Jesus, not not the disciple John, yeah. you know he's yeah. preaching, turn away from the ways of the Pharisees, which is yeah. be saved by your works. Turn yeah, the away from your work. were,
7: Yeah, the Pharisees yeah. were in a state of unbelief for so long, you know, and uh, and even on the else, even like- Everybody
0: everyone else is just believed.
7: Exactly even on the even on the day of Pentecost uh, uh, where Peter gets up and says uh, you know gives a long sermon you know on the day of Pentecost he's full of the Holy Spirit so you know he's speaking the truth and and they're, they're cut to the heart because they realize they've, they've crucified their Messiah and they said, well what are we going to do? what shall we do he says you know he's, he does use in that verse which I think a lot of people misunderstand about baptism repent, uh, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and he uses the word for the remission of sins, well, Peter was the same guy that preached that that, that Christ is the one who took away our sins, you know, who, who died for our sins. He, he just said that a few verses or earlier, uh, that he was the Lamb who did this and all that. So I I just really think that a lot of Christians, maybe well-meaning pastors, and I know we want holiness in our congregations. We want people to repent of sins of the flesh, but lost people—what they need to do, as you're as you're saying, if I'm understanding you right—they need to believe the gospel, just like the verse in Mark you said: uh, "Repent and do what? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent of your unbelief."
0: Yeah, and you mentioned um, Acts two thirty-seven and thirty-eight, where Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. So understand. When he says, repent and be baptized, they were baptized by the Holy Ghost on that day, and over 3,000 of them were baptized. So right. logistically, you can't take 3,000 people to the Jordan River in a few hours and baptize them with water physically. So he's obviously talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember, John says, um, you, know, I pre- you know, I baptize you, but there's comes one after me. Who's not who I'm not worthy for him to loose my my shoe sandal, and he baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Yes. So the baptism of of Acts two was of the Holy Ghost, not water. So when Peter said, "Repent and be baptized," he's talking about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Later on, they were baptized with water, probably days or weeks after, because after it would be yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah,
7: it's after salvation. Yeah, regardless of that timing, I,
0: I see what you're saying so yeah uh, and um so it's just the, the it's, message it's, real quick the message is um believe on the lord jesus christ because like like the gospel of john chapter 3 says you you must be born again you can't make yourself be born you had nothing to do with your birth right the holy spirit birthed you after your birth you repent of sins uh second corinthians 7 um paul talks about um you know godly sorrow that leads to repentance he's talking to believers so after yeah. you're born again you repent of your sins and it's a constant exactly. repentance we sin every day yeah, an unbeliever really- cannot repent of their sins yeah
7: yeah and he's, he's, and a lot of that is he, he in romans uh after he'd gone through 11 chapters uh completely he says in, in chapter 12 by the time he gets to that he says uh you know, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewing of the mind is what brings about, you know, the kind of personal holiness that, that you know, God's looking for. Uh, uh, so, and, and, you know, the Gospel of John, like I said, it's just saying uh, by belief, by faith, believe the promise of Christ, the promise of eternal life. He'll give it to you if you believe him. Uh, the Romans, which is what I call Paul's thesis of the Gospel, uh, in the king james, it's it's only the word repent is only in Romans one time, and that's uh, uh, the, I think the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. you know, so let's talk about God's repentance. And then in Galatians, which is Paul's defense of the gospel towards the Judaizers, repent isn't even in Galatians. So you got God that- I mean, so you yeah, I mean you got uh, the promise of from from the Lord in in John and in Romans and Galatians, which are three you know, foundational books.
0: Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to, to repent of your sins to be saved. Um, no. You know, I mean, a person who is born again will turn from their sins after they're born again, but they're already regenerated. Uh, repent is a word that's got to be used in context. Remember in uh, Genesis always, 6... Always, yeah. Oh yeah, Genesis six. It repented God that He made man. Did God repent of sins? No, God doesn't sin. He turned. Exactly. So He was sustaining man, Changed and because of man's mind. sins, He turned from sustaining him to destroying him. It's just a turning away.
7: Yeah, it's a, it's a change of mind. There's different depending on the context. The metanoia, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know. That kind of word, it, context, certainly uh, is, a, is a big factor
0: in, in what it means in those contexts. Absolutely. Well, we're on the same page biblically. I got another caller. Do you have a final thought well, uh, from Texas, William?
7: Well, yeah. Uh, one day I want to talk to you about—I'll uh, uh, just give you a, a, ch- a verse to think about in, before— Christ ascended into heaven. Uh, one of the last things he said to his disciples uh, in Matthew 28, uh, right around, I think, uh, verse 18 and 19, uh, he said, uh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Uh, therefore, go ye and make disciples uh, you know, of all nations. Uh, so um, I want to call another time, and we'll, I want to talk to you about Christ, I believe he's ruling and reigning now. I think he's at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning now. Uh, I was a yeah. pre-trib, pre-mill guy for, for many years, actually a couple of decades. Uh, I, I, I don't hold that position anymore. I believe in more of a post, post-mill post position that Christ is ruling and reigning now and the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death, and that's when he comes back. But we can talk about that more in detail when you got more time.
0: That would be a great conversation. Please call back. I, I really enjoy your calls. We're we're really All on right. the same page.
7: You got it, Jeremy. You're doing a great job. Thanks.
0: Thanks a lot, man. Oh, we got Mike in Kentucky up next. We're skipping the break according to Mike in the control room. Uh so <laughs> Mike in Kentucky. Hello.
8: Well hey. <laughs> I hated to cut that guy off. He was uh you know, he's getting into some perspectives there that I've been exploring about, you know. He's in his kingdom, and his kingdom has no end, you know? We have to reconcile some things like uh, um, generations come and go, but the earth goes on forever. And yet people are like, well, the earth's going to burn up. It's going to go away, you know? flee to the mountains. Don't come down off your roof. And I'm I'm thinking, well, what good would that do if the entire earth's going to burn up with uh, fire and stuff? I think there's something there uh, you're not putting together in the right way, you know? <laughs> But, uh, now he's in his kingdom. I don't think there's any doubt about that. His kingdom, uh, he became the way at the destruction of the temple. There's no other way. You could argue for a while. There, there the temple was up and running. What is it, Philetus and Hymenaeus were saying that. They were looking around saying, Well, oh, what difference does it make that your guy got crucified? Everything continues just since the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. But they couldn't say that after the temple was left in destruction and uh, those abominations stood there in the holy place. You know, the holy of holies, the place where heaven met earth. which you could say is heaven's and earth. You know, he said well, heaven and earth that, destroyed. That's a good point. My word what, on, whether,
0: whether you're pre-, mid-, or post-trib, whether you're a millennialist or not, a true Christian should understand that Jesus reigns, because according to Job, the entire book of Job, specifically chapters one and two, the devil only gets away with what God allows him to. So, regardless of your position in the millennial, um, God allows what He allows. So, yeah, He reigns.
8: <laughs> and we, you know, we certainly. I think give power over to things that we shouldn't be giving power to you know trying to be living in fear of the devil which is a kind of the wrong I think the wrong thing I think we need to be aware of his devices but we should be in, in fear of the second death and and ultimately uh being you know handed over to a reprobate mind obviously it's not the the way to be so uh what I had called about though was uh idea of marriage. I think there was a time uh, when maybe the language got a little bit distorted because if you go back and look uh, mostly, if not all, prior to, say, 1850, 60, somewhere in there, the marriage certificates would say, you know, John Quincy Adams takes uh you know sue uh smith to be his holy uh or to in holy matrimony they take each other and there's no uh implication for government granted permission because there was a while there where if you wanted to marry outside you know say a, a native american wanted to marry I don't know, a Chinese person. They had to get a marriage license, which is permission from the government to do that. And uh, some people have said, well, that's racist or whatever. But I think it, it has to do with uh, the idea that uh, the government doesn't grant uh, permission for a, a holy sacrament. You know, it's just not separation of uh, church and state but separation of the state from the church they've kind of got they flipped it around backwards these days and those old marriage or uh, excuse me certificates of holy matrimony uh kind of put put it in more perspective there that you know the the husband takes his wife and the wife takes the husband the holy matrimony it doesn't even imply that you're getting you know, parents' permission, which I, I don't know about that. You know, because throughout the scriptures, you know, I'm trying to remember which guy it was that actually worked uh, for seven years to get uh, the sister that he wanted, which was the younger sister, and they tricked him in the marriage ceremony, and he married the older sister, so he had to work another seven years, and he figured a Jacob. way to.
0: Jacob, Jacob. Uh,
8: figured out a way to make the sheep change color by feeding them something and was able to get the other uh, uh-huh. sister, you know. So, <laughs> you know, he had to get the permission of the family. Obviously, you know, in that situation, sure, I mean, you, you couldn't abscond with uh, a favored daughter and expect to come out uh, ahead, I don't think, in that kind of a situation. But, uh, the idea that you should get, you know, the, the family's, uh, permission, I think is, uh, is just smart, but the idea that you well, have to have the government's permission, and that's where we've gotten into trouble. Because here's the government granting permission uh, for gay marriages and all this other stuff. So
0: that that's a fascinating that thing you bring up. Let me, let me let me interject. That's fascinating because you know throughout history, uh, governments have you know pretty much abided by the law of God uh, up until current day. Uh, you know where they grant marriages and uh but now that they're granting homo marriages or even tranny marriages and you know some you know there's even the idea floated out of marrying your dog or some crap like that um a christian could say well i have no faith in the state therefore i'm going to marry this woman under my vows to god and i'm not going to seek state approval I- i'm on board with that i'm totally on board with that if it's state, called
8: common-law marriage. Some states actually yeah. still recognize common-law marriage. They they look for evidence of it, like cohabitation or sharing of bills. But uh, there's a thing still, and Montana Freeman made use of this, there's a book that most courthouses still maintain called the Miscellaneous Book. And you could go down to the post office and buy a postage stamp and put it on a certificate of marriage to record the event and have witnesses sign it then you go you know once you get that stamp canceled establishes date and time and a place go over to the courthouse and file it in a miscellaneous book there's two witnesses in exactly in mouth, two witnesses so and then you've got yeah. all the signatures
0: so bi- biblically first Corinthians 7 um, if any man think he behaveth himself uncomely un- toward his virgin if she passed yeah. the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not, let them marry. This is sure. a verse talking about a father giving his daughter away a marriage. Biblically, a marriage is a father giving his daughter to marriage to the groom. So if you have to, if the state is degenerate and not conducting marriage according to the Bible, you could circumvent that.
8: Well, there's also Part ye not except for a time you know for fasting and prayer but come together again or else you know you would be tempted so i hear music i guess there's a gotta pay some freight
0: there's it's so much
8: oh well have a great one
0: <laughs> thanks a lot for the call man great show you to stay classy back tomorrow night with william
9: That's 818-965-9113. drinksupertea.com.
3: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.